On the show this week, Dutch issues ahead of the ODI Super League campaign in part one with PNG all rounder Chad Soper. But if you're an Emerging Cricket patron, you get an extended version of this week's show. To sign up, log on to patreon.com slash emerging cricket. Let's get straight into it. Welcome in again to another Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick, as always, joined by Nick Skinner and Tim Cutler. Tim in Vanuatu, looking relaxed as ever. How's things? Got a big moth flying around me here outside. Um, I'm I'm good, Bez. Been a bit of a challenge trying to get uh, internet up and working and uh, speed. Thus my, uh, <laughs> my my missing in action last week, but. Uh getting there and the weather's just just cooling nicely and uh fewer people are pointing and laughing with me uh, not sweating as much so mm-hmm. that's a that's a plus <laughs> how are you going oh look uh still buzzing actually from last week's conversation with uh pankaj kimji unfortunately tim not able to to join us but nick i think you'll agree one of the the best chats we've probably had on the the show thus far and mm. you're sporting a is that an iCup jersey from the mid 2000s it's looking <laughs> ever dapper to to give all the people at home who who can't see <laughs> Nick, he's he's wearing a very oversized cricket shirt uh, on our Zoom call at the moment, an old Canada shirt. Explain that to the audience, uh, Nick. Good luck with that. Yes, well, I'll, I'll start today's um, greeting with with a shout out to our friend Jim Congdon, who's a, a patron and probably the best cricket jersey collection on Twitter. He posted a picture of this jersey a couple of weeks ago in in a conversation, and um, I, I expressed my admiration that he managed to get his hands on a 2006 Intercontinental Cup Canada kit, and um, he he sent it to me very kindly, all the way from South Australia. So I certainly owe him a beverage next time we're uh, we're in the same town. Yes, one of our humble and loyal patrons, Jim Congdon. And yes, that shirt looks outstanding. And that collection that he's got with him is unbelievable. And uh, yeah, I can't think of anyone that's got a bigger collection than that. So huge shout out to to him. I was going to say just a quick question. No one's going to be able to see this, but... You've got it buttoned all the way to the top, Nicholas. Is that is that your is that your cricketing style? That is my cricketing style. Yep, I'm yep top button up. <laughs> as long as you keep in long sleeves, Nick, it's okay. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> were they three quarter sleeves at, at one point, and then yeah, they're just yes. like too long for you? Yeah, I think these probably were three quarter sleeves on whoever wore them originally. <laughs> Superb. Maybe a. Just trying to think, circa two thousand and six, like maybe Henry Asinde. He's a he's a big lad. <laughs> Uh, we will try and find that out for you. There has been quite a bit of action in the emerging game over the past week. And I think the biggest story will probably come out of Rotterdam, where we saw two one-day internationals play out between the Dutch and the Scots. There's Well, this is a little bit loaded because we've got Dutch Super League action from next week. And there's a bunch of red tape and politics that will come to that. And we'll get to that in a second, Nick. But to look at the series itself, 1-1 on a tricky surface, a good test for both teams. Bowlers dominating a couple of things for the Netherlands to potentially think about with a few county guys out. It looks as if the, the batting might be a fraction short. Uh, a good hit out for both teams to see that the matches play out and, and streamed, albeit with some inclement weather and some uh, streaming issues. We were able to see some international cricket for the Dutch, a good hit out for them, but we might see several players missing out once again with, with Super League fixtures coming up. Ryan Campbell's been tested here with the 11 that he's had to put out. How did you kind of see that series play out and what do you make of that team? Um, yeah, I, I mean, 
you can uh, let loose on the mandatory release stuff with the counties, but I think the Netherlands batting does look a bit wobbly. You know, if you've got Pete Zeller coming in at four, I mean, yeah, no, no disrespect to him. He's he's a solid batsman, but I, I see his role in the team as more of a floater and, you know, comes in and provides a run rate boost with some, some good hitting rather than being sort of the spine of the whole innings, which is kind of what your number four usually does. So that's a question. Although, you know, we, we saw um, George Dockerell batting four for the Ireland Wolves in, in that other series. So <laughs> we, you, you don't know what's going on with, with both of these batting lineups. It was interesting to see just the, I mean, I guess the change of conditions probably helped and uh, maybe even the change of format from the series in Nepal. But, you know, Vivian Kingma, who was getting pumped over in Kathmandu, was looking very, very threatening in the more bowling-friendly conditions here. So I think even missing some of their players um, in the on the bowling side of things, the Dutch will be quite threatening. But yeah, their batting does look very threadbare, doesn't it? You're just looking at it, uh, outside of, of Max O'Dowd, who has been electric not only in Nepal but you know for for the Netherlands here in their in their home series and yeah Pete Saylor at, at four and you know as much as we big up Peter's batting over the years and especially moving up from being a, a lower order almost a tail ender to, to moving up into the middle order I think he would probably admit he's probably not the number four but Tim. What's Ryan Campbell thinking at the moment? We know there have been a lot of players in and out of the side, generally due to eligibility or availability work and, and other commitments in, involved in cricket. How tricky is it for, for Campbell as a coach to put a team out there when he doesn't really know you know, who he can actually pick and, and call up for really important fixtures? You know, We're talking about World Cup qualification fixtures next week against Ireland in the Super League. That is a, a very good question. Um, and it'd be good for us to be able to, to ask Campbell himself. But I think what we've seen him do in, in his entire time there is really trying to promote young talent and getting them um, exposure at the top level. And we've seen that in the selections in, in basically all, all of his squads. And I think even though they had that, that poor T20 series in Oman prior to the World Cup qualifiers in, in 2019, you know, I think he stuck to his guns and they came out and, and more or less blitzed that qualifying tournament to win it and and really kind of I would say put to bed some of the criticisms of, of what they were doing in, in in the background but the reality is as well that the strength of that team really does rely on it all being together and that includes their overseas stars that are that are playing overseas and as you said their world cup qualification games you know the world cup is still the biggest event in cricket and these games are, are direct qualifiers for that so despite the ICC having put out briefing notes in the past about them encouraging, and I use inverted commas there, mandatory release of players so they can play for their, their associate nations, and I think it was, it was made clear in, in, this, in the notes about that, you know, the counties are, are not abiding by that, and that reflects on the counties, that reflects on the, on the ECB. You think, you know, is there communication between the ICC and the full members in the counties? And, you know, what good is it if you're going to pay a, a member like the Netherlands $2 million a year to prepare for the World Cup Super League if they can't get their best players? It's a hard one to really kind of put your finger on as to where the fault lies. Well, sorry, I think it's clear, you know, if the counties aren't releasing the players, but how is it any different than releasing it for any other international tournament? This is the actual pinnacle. Finally, we've got international bilateral cricket that means something. And we're not going to see, which is supposedly the best associate team with their best team on the park. So if we're trying to put a great product out there and we'll, we'll use the line about competitive teams playing out there, 
you know, for the Netherlands to be their most competitive, they need their best players. So how does Cambo do it? Well, I, well, all hoping for his sake, so these last tours would help him really fill out the 11 and the squad, both with a, a view to the future, with some of the, the squad players you might you might bring along, but some of the players that kind of fit around those key players who are applying their trade as professionals in, on the county circuit. So for Cambo now, it's it's it's... I don't think it's so much drawing board, but it, it does put a lot of a lot of pressure on him because let's be honest, like to me, Dutch men's cricket was heading towards two things for the last couple of years. It was towards this the T twenty World Cup and it's the the World Cup Super League. They're the, the you know, very narrow focus about getting that team up and that's why they're so well funded and that's why they've created a separate entity that runs the events to try and bring some commercial revenue from all that. So look I, I really feel for Ryan. You know, we look at Banshee Rath and the issues that he had for uh, Middlesex and for Hong Kong and, and the red tape that just tied him up in knots and not allowed him to play proper first-team county cricket and to, to work as a, a professional cricketer. And I look at this situation and I see a lot of similarities. And to think that a lot of full members in this situation wouldn't have this problem, uh, they'd be able to, to go out and play their own cricket no matter where they are, because the counties sign multiple overseas players, and when one's unavailable, the other one just kind of slides in and, and plays in the team. So to look at it for a number of these Dutch players who still, the, the perk of them being in this situation is that they, well, most of them count as domestic players, but the fallback in all of that is that they're not allowed to represent their country. And I just see this as, as a pretty backward way of thinking and a backward situation for for a lot of these players you know how are we going to develop and how are the netherlands going to have a, a a fair crack at this tournament to qualify for a world cup if they can't play their first 11 i mean their arms are tied behind their back as it is being an associate member and all the the lack of funding and everything that goes with that as an associate member it's a two-pronged thing now when now they they can't even pick their their first 11 and with respect to a lot of the players who are there and able to, to play for the netherlands you know they've international creators in their own right but i just don't think it's fair i mean there's there's 12 other countries in this competition that will have free reign can pick everybody that they could and my issue would be you know if the netherlands were to host england in a world cup super league event in the netherlands would the dutch players be allowed to play in that i mean there's got to be a line that has to be drawn at some point because i think it just completely goes against what this cricket was meant to be and it goes against everything that you want to be as a professional athlete, cricketer, it doesn't matter what sport it is. It's counterintuitive and it, and it doesn't do anyone any justice and it doesn't help anybody. And the Netherlands are the only people that this will cost because it just doesn't affect the other 12 teams. So I just can't see how it's fair for anyone involved. And, and just to sort of round out that point, I think looking a bit more broadly, it just shows how ineffectual the ICC really is as an organisation in, in terms of um, having power to to mandate rules for its own members you know <laughs> the, the the icc um has has come up with these guidelines for mandatory release so that um international cricket remains at the forefront and that's good and they've made a good decision in, in prioritizing that but then the, the members i.e you know the ecb and, and the counties can apparently uh, if if they do not release them they they can just ignore the the rules and there's presumably not going to be any consequences uh so you know what's what's going to happen and if you think about it in in terms of the tournament structure i mean you sort of have one of the members of this tournament the super league 
uh, sabotaging one of their rivals in the same tournament by by blocking the release of their better players. And I, I, I'm not saying that it's conscious on the part of the ECB because for a number of reasons, I, I, I don't think that they're you know deliberately thinking how can we torpedo the Dutch squad. I, I just think. Um, there, there's a conflict of interest there, even if it's just a perceived one. And, and I think the, the, the core problem really is that the ICC um, is, is unable to govern its own members. Another perspective is as well that these counties wouldn't have these players' services unless they had Dutch passports. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, it's a bit rich, isn't it? The, the, you know, the fact, you know, and, and we can, who knows what the future is going to look like for, for those that are on EU passports and to remain and, and live and work, etc. But the reality is that's that's how they've got them. But no, you know, I didn't really think of it that way. Can you imagine a full-strength England team travelling in the Netherlands and then, oh, sorry, the um, the Dutch players aren't coming because the counties don't release them. So I'm, I'm sort of trying to, trying to think, like, what could the options be? Were the players told, yes, we'll sign you, but there's no release this season, you know, and they had to agree with over a barrel or something? But I, I really don't know how we get to this position. It's not like we're asking them to be released for a, a five-test series in the West Indies or in Australia. It's for three one-day internationals played over the course of a week. So that's one round at the worst, two. I'm not sure what quarantine is at the moment, whether it's just arrive and self-isolate until you get a negative test and then, you, and then you're out, which means that you're gone for, for a week at, at the longest so I really, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss. And this is cricket that I know we, as in the royal we, but, but we've been looking forward to this since the moment that they won the World Cricket League Championship at the end, I'm trying to get this right in my head, the end of 2017. <laughs> you know, that's how long the build-up has been for them to play this game. And they're not going to have their best team. So I think we've definitely covered the point there. Um, look, I, I hope the mail is incorrect. Uh, it is just bitterly disappointing. The 2nd, 4th and 7th of June are when those Super League fixtures between the Netherlands men and Ireland men will take place. We'll have all of the info and news regarding all of that on next week's show and the week after. And another series that's gone down in international cricket and another one that we will wrap next week in full. Ireland's women have overcome a 1-0 deficit to win their four-match T20I series against Scotland 3-1. After failing to chase a target of just 88 in Game 1, Ireland defended totals of 137 and 134 in Games 2 and 3, respectively, before chasing a target of 100 in Game 4 to claim the series. As mentioned before, we'll wrap that series in full next week. But for now, here's Part 1 of our chat with PNG all-rounder, Chad Soper. Hi, I'm Pankaj Kimji, and you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Well, here on the Emerging Cricket Podcast, we're grateful to sit down with people from all corners of the associate world. But for us, our guest this week is a lot closer to home. And Tim, you're very much in the minority here. Very sorry about it. Three Central Coast boys on the chat. Welcome in our special guest this week. You'll hopefully be seeing him in action a little later this year at the T20 World Cup, one of the several all-rounders who feature for the Papua New Guinea men's team. Chad Soper, welcome to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thanks, boys. Good to be here. 
Now, first things first, Chad, I've got to make a public apology for you. First of all, early this year, catching up with mates, I was playing some backyard cricket at Gosford Sailing Club of all places. <laughs> what an establishment. And I might have been wearing a jersey of a rival international team that starts with N and ends in Epal. And I just wanted to say that if I knew I was going to be graced with your presence, I probably would have worn a neutral shirt. But on the record, I, I apologise and... <laughs> And, and yeah, I just wanted to make that public in, in front of everyone. That's fine, mate. Six months later, that's fine if you want to apologise. As long as you did, it's all good, mate. <laughs> Time heals all wounds. I remember I was I was digging into a box of KFC and you've looked at me and you're like, mate, that's the enemy. You can't wear that shirt. What are, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm pretty sure you were the bloke who got me out as well. I think it was Lamachane's shirt. <laughs> just rubbing it in, mate. Yeah, yeah. Rubbed it in big time. No, no, I, I make no favourites in that team. That There's no one else's name on the back of that shirt. I can also place that on the record. Just before we jumped on, Tim, you were trying to work out if you and Chad had actually crossed paths in, in the grade cricket scene uh, over the years there, and telling us a story about how uh, one night in, in Dubai during that World Cup qualifier, you tried to find out, albeit for uh, the Dubai internet not quite working out. Did you work it out? Maybe ships in the night? I'm not sure. I played, you know, with you young'uns. Um, most of that, those years were probably in, in second grade. So I, with Chad playing a lot more ones than I was at that stage. But look, I'm. It, it sounds like there's a bit of homework for me. But um, I like how you made out that it was just the Dubai internet, and and, and it wasn't about <laughs> six hours after. I think the Barras had. Was that the day that you qualified, or was it the? That was the night. Yeah, I think it was. That it was the night of the. Yeah, it was that was celebratory. I would say the um that, that night. Yes. No, um, <laughs> it was good. I think uh, Chad was just saying it's probably was that the last time that you saw your teammates as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was a good night too, though. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's, it's probably best he doesn't remember playing against me anyway, because after meeting a few people in the years afterwards, like, geez, you're much nicer off the field. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> angriest left arm spinner in the world. <laughs> oh God! Could imagine an unbearable Tim Cutler, circa 2010 to 15 ish. Look, I was about 25 kilos lighter, and not in Vanuatu. That was the only difference. <laughs> We had Norman Vanua on not too long ago and we talked about the relationship that you guys have as a team. To bring it back a little bit further, that team, there's such a great camaraderie in that team. I'm sure that you're still very connected with them on WhatsApp or some sort of messaging platform. Who's running the WhatsApp? How are you guys organizing yourselves, your training? Who's pushing each other along? What's it like being a part of that Barrows group? Yeah, it's uh, it's something else, you know. I've been you, you and I have been fortunate enough to play together, and um, you know, I've played in a lot of junior teams in in Australia growing up, and um, I can honestly say there's nothing like it. Every coach that we've had that's come into the picture and um, has just you know fitted into the team, and the team just sort of embrace that, and uh, they're all about family, and you know, you it's almost like you feel like you are. Most of the guys are probably related along the line somewhere in PNG, but um, <laughs> uh, you'll probably find that you know that. These are you're not just playing with guys that are you know representing their country, you're playing with brothers. So and it's a real yeah, it's probably a real band of brothers to be honest. That's how I describe it. Uh, the WhatsApp group's still going strong. Uh, it was started by Joey Dawes um, and Dizzy when we had Jason Gillespie back uh, before the transition uh, from Dipak to to Joey. And um, yeah, that WhatsApp group's going strong. That was uh, basically set up to keep us all accountable uh, with our training, especially the Aussie-based boys, because uh, there's a few younger ones that are coming through now as well that are sort of get added to the group every now and then. And um, yeah, we've been fortunate enough to, uh, you know, over COVID, we were able to keep in touch despite, you know, data over in PNG costing a fair bit for some of the boys. But um, 
we get you know get our videos up there of us training and um, you know hitting balls or we just put up our sessions and you know every day it's a daily thing you know someone's writing something on the whatsapp and saying hey boys i you know i went hard in the gym tonight so you know someone's got to pick up the slack tomorrow you know so yeah it's cool it's awesome such a good team do any of the boys kind of fudge the numbers a little bit on their Strava when they're going for a run when they're actually on a on a push bike? You know, do you want to rat anyone out? I'm not one to rat people out, so I'll leave it. Uh, I'll leave it as a no. Uh, <laughs> early, early on though, there was a few culprits, and they know who they are, and the um, and the coaches know who they are. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> You've been pretty lucky with, with the coaching, not only with, with Joe Dawes, Carl Sandry coming in now, but you had Ross Taylor there as a, as a mentor there for a bit. I'm guessing that was during the, the DPAC reign. Yep. How important is it having those those mentors and role models in the setup as well to boot? Yeah, people have come in of, you know, like I said before, they, they just fit straight into the structure of the of the team and the way that the team work. And I got on really well with DPAC. I got on really well with Ando, Peter Anderson, even before that, Andy Bickle. Jason Gillespie, these guys are just, you know, for me and yourself, you know, and I'm sure the other boys growing up, these guys are like our idols on TV. So being able to actually mix in with these guys and um, get to know them on a personal level and just realise that they just love cricket as much as we do is, um, you know, it's awesome. And, you know, managed to build a really good relationship with Ross and, you know, we still catch up every time he's playing here in um, Australia and we catch up for a coffee and it's just like old times. And, you know, it's also that, I think that Pacific Islander connection as well that's really uh, helped him when he was around just fit straight into the, with the ball boys and he had the best time I know and he always asks about the boys and yeah it's just such a I know it's just such a really cool culture to be a part of everyone's encouraged and there's no big heads you know there's no egos to play around with the team and everyone just gets on and if you do carry on a little bit you know you get pretty much called out straight away and put back in your place real quick and um you get you get the jacket is that the oh uh, yes the jacket you get the jacket yeah yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't got it yet touch wood <laughs> <laughs> what's the best stunt you've seen that's earned a red jacket oh you know the usual culprits are uh Kiplin Dorigo he's um he's big for um doing something something pretty silly or something something dumb so Usually is the one that you'll see mostly in the jacket. Um, the best one was probably when Assad, the captain, tried to uh, throw Nosaina Pakana under the bus um, in a fines meeting, and then it turned out that Assad was just spinning the story around, and um, we and we had a few witnesses as well. So yeah, he got thrown under the bus, and Joey was quick to award Assad the, and fine him as well for it. So uh, now there's a few, but. Some of them probably shouldn't be mentioned on film, so I'll probably just leave it at that. Leave it at that yeah, surely uh, that lying to mates fine would have got Assad's <laughs> numbers right up there. Like, oh, dear, that, that doubles the fine as well. Oh, and the skipper too. Dear, oh, dear. That man could get away with murder, honestly. He's uh, always got an answer for everything. <laughs> So just just on this coaching, you know, you've talked about a, a few of the guys who've who've sort of come and gone in the PNG setup. We've we've seen Carl Sandry's the new face in the setup. What's the transition been like, and and how's Sandry made the adjustment? How much of that have you seen? I guess from a distance. I've been. Uh, I was actually fortunate enough to uh, meet and play with him two weeks ago in Mackay. I went up for a um, like a country tournament. Cambo uh, organised young Jack Gardner to go up. Um, exciting young fast bowler. Had a great tournament. And, uh, Nathan Reardon, who's the batting coach currently now at the moment, he he was going to captain the side. Um, so we went up with him, and then Carl came up, and he was uh, apparently he was spectating, but he 
somehow had his cricket kit with him. So he um, <laughs> managed to uh, managed to rope him in because I, I heard a bit about him and I'd done a bit of research and I just wanted to see him play in person. So I actually got to uh, watch him bowl and he just took all basically took all our wickets. And yeah, like it was actually really cool to see him up close and meet him properly. And um, I, I know for a fact that um, he's going to fit right in, real, real right in with the boys. They'll love him. And um, no, I'm excited to see how he's going. He's just keeping track on the WhatsApp at the moment and just doing a bit of, um, I guess, research on the boys and watching watching like our videos that we've had in the Google Drives and the WhatsApps and just getting to know the guys uh, through that at the moment. And then I think he's going to be heading over uh, soon when he gets a chance or, or if the boys come over here um, soon as well, which I think is in the pipeline. Yeah, one of one of Tim's fingerspin brothers. What, so, what's the logistics like on on that front with the the COVID stuff? And um, you know, obviously, Sandry hasn't gone over yet. How how is that all kind of administratively working out? Probably asking the wrong uh, the wrong person. That's probably a question for Cambo. But um, from what I'm seeing from a distance, I think he has to. We all we're all getting a have to get our needles before we can travel. But I think I'd, like uh, he's doing a fair bit. I was watching him with um, Greg before I flew back home when I was with them and. They were basically going through everything, um, how they're going to get the boys prepared for the World Cup, what training, how many, what's our allowances. I, I just saw all the process of what he's going through. There's a fair bit to get through. And um, uh, and on top of that, he's trying to get to know the boys as well. So he gets a bit of a background on each player. So, you know, he's been, uh, he quizzed me a fair bit when, uh, when I was there. So I tried to do my best to not rat anyone out. So I um, just saying good things about all the boys, but I felt like I was saying the same thing about everyone because everyone does bat and bowl on the team so it's pretty hard yeah yeah <laughs> and, the, and the batting order completely changes from one game to the next i reckon i've seen you bat from three you might have even opened for png at some point i'm not 100 percent sure but yeah i've seen every single one of you slide up and down that order yeah i say this a lot though i think I, the shorter the overs get the worse i play so I, <laughs> uh, batting wise that is uh, but uh, yeah, no, the, the, it was funny because that tournament was um, eight over games and uh, because it got, there was a bit of rain involved. And um, yeah, I went from Rito batting me at three to opening with him under lights, which was awesome. But like I said, as the overs got lower, I batted worse. And then Rito was hitting everything for, for four and six and I'm there just getting my ones going, I'm going all right, 100 strike right yeah, so. <laughs> Do you have any feel for the different style that uh, Carl may bring as opposed to Joe? I think uh, aside from Joey being a big boy, as you probably you guys have probably seen, he's a, he's a big intimidating figure. Uh, Carl is a very, and not saying anything against Joey, like Carl's very approachable, just like Joey in that way. There's a bit of larrikin about him that I've I've gathered in the, in the few nights that I got to you know spend with him. Um, but there's yeah, he's, he seems as cheeky as some of the boys will be. So it'll be good to see how he handles the the guys. And um, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. I, I reckon he's just going to fit in really well. And I think the boys will love him as well. I, I actually genuinely think that. And he just seems very um, I don't know, just very flexible. And I think he looks he looks like he's ready to go. And and also you know having that background in uh, associate cricket himself um, is probably a little bit relatable to some of the other boys, I guess, on that level of you know we're not. We're not up there yet, but we can be if we just want to knuckle down and, and have a crack. So People have, have spoken of, of Sydney grade, and maybe it's changed in the last decade or so, as player numbers, sort of the struggle of keeping older players in the game and the skill set of, of having a lot of those ex-state players playing. But you know, first grade was described as the best amateur cricket in the world, and it's still at a very, very high level. How would you compare, especially now that you've you've played a season? I think this is probably something that we get asked a lot in the associate world. You know, how would you how would you peg the level? How would you you put that sort of high level associate against what you're playing in Sydney? Um, for me, I when I sit back and, and have a look at it, 
the experience really shines out brighter um, in the first grade. I find you'll play against big names that are playing for their state regularly or the uh, up-and-coming young fellas that are coming through in the 19 system and the pathway system that are constantly playing cricket. And they just, you know, I find that the the difference, it's just like it's experience. It, nothing beats experience. The older guys, you know, back when we used to play, like when, uh, when I was playing at Gordon as well, like I've, I look back to when I was at Gordon go and I was young and green then, but now I know my game and I know I can just relax. Whereas associate games, you, there's a little bit more added pressure because you, if you really think about it, you're not playing 20 games every year with your in the national team. You're playing, you know, a regular a series every two months, maybe together as an actual unit, you know? And I think for me, knowing the guys around me um, and having those relationships with the guys, knowing what they can do in pressure situations and knowing that they can, win a game from from anywhere is uh, I think it's it's vital in any team environment um, but the difference being when um, I guess there's a lot more lot more riding on it when it's an international fixture because you just go well at the end of the day I'm playing with my brothers but we're actually representing our country so this is this is it really this is the this is the top end you know when I, whereas if you go to club and you have a bad day and watch a guy get 150 you go oh well I can still I'm still going to work on Monday <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you know you mentioned the under 19 World Cup 2012 i remember seeing your quick info profile for the first time and thinking oh yeah dude's made it now this is fantastic <laughs> um, but who made the call there because i'm guessing that the barramundis and png they might not have even had you potentially on on the radar at that point they might have not even known that you were eligible to play for them who who made the call at that point who who reached out to who my dad actually was just doing some, he was just, I think he was just interested. Uh, he came to me one day and, you know, back then I was still just trying to play footy and, and enjoy enjoying my cricket, you know, and I was, I was in the 19s uh, set up with Crete Lake New South Wales in the pathway there. And I was trying to, you know, trying to make it. And I got a bit discouraged when I didn't get selected. And I had a good, I remember I had a good season in first and I got a fair few wickets that year. And I actually had a good, good season with the bat as well. And then I just remember my dad saying like, look, PNG boys are going to the 19s World Cup. You know, that's going to be in Australia. And uh, he basically just flicked out an email just to Cricket PNG. And I think it was Canberra that actually Greg was there and he actually, um, he got back to us. And then I got a phone call from uh, Peter Anderson and I went up for the, uh, back then it was called the Hebo Shield. Uh, they've changed the names since, but uh, that used to just be a one-day tournament and you play some T20s and they just split up the the competition into six teams and the Barramundi squad would be, you know, through those six teams and the under-19s um, that were going to be going to the World Cup would also be picked from that tournament. And um, I, Peter, I remember getting a phone call from Peter Anderson and he was like, mate, we heard you, um, you were born in PNG, so you'd be eligible, eligible already. Would you like to come up? We'll fly you up, put you up in a, I was actually stayed with family, which was awesome. And yeah, just played two months of cricket, playing the Hebo Shield, see how you go. Uh, and then they we're going to pick the 19s team from that. And then that, I went up and that was the first time I'd actually been back to PNG since I was born there. So it was a huge thing for me to actually leave the country for one, but um, also you know, go and see my home country and um, had had a ball, met all the boys. Like, um, there's probably out of the squad of 18, 19 guys now, there's probably, I think, probably 11 of those boys were in that sort of setup. They're, they're still around now. And yeah, I played with Tony Ura, I played in Tony's team and I think LA now and we just, we had a good comp and I think we made the final and then we got flogged in the final or something. And <laughs> I just remember coming back from that and, and then Ando approached me before I left and he was like, mate, you're going to be in the team. So just prepare yourself when you go home and we'll see you in Aussie and, you know, come up for camp. And then that was it straight into it. It was amazing. Was, there's there's so much of this story that I find really interesting. You know, you, you, as you said, you know, that was the first time you'd been back to PNG. So, I'm just kind of wondering, you know, growing up 
in Australia, but with you know your mum's from PNG. What what's it like connecting with your heritage on on that side of the family and, and going back to PNG to play and and represent that country? Uh, Nick, it was it's honestly still it gives me goosebumps thinking about the first time I went over there because uh, my dad uh, working in pharmaceuticals over there. He he was he was going, he's been going there for nearly twenty years before that. So he knew he basically wrote me this list and said, "This is what's going to happen to the airport. <laughs> this is what you expect. Don't do this. Don't do that. You can do this. You know, and ask your auntie if you have any other questions." And then I had this huge sheet. I kept it on me the first week I was there. I just kept reading it, just going like making sure I was doing everything right. Um, and yeah, it was. Uh, I just remember getting on the plane coming home from that trip and just going, "I need to be back here. This is." This is home. Like these, everything I grew up learning about my country and my family. Um, and I obviously didn't meet. I still haven't met everyone in my family. But hearing about the family, hearing about you know where my mum and dad actually grew up because they grew up in the house that I stayed in as well there with my auntie. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was one of the best things. And just coming home, going yeah, uh, that's that's home. I need to go back. And the boys just embracing me and you know, speaking the language that I'd, I've learned and heard from a young age, just speaking it regularly and being around that was just, yeah, it was awesome. And even the music, like when I was in the change room and sit, hearing the songs and singing along and the boys were like, hey, how do you know this song? <laughs> like, I, don't know, I know this song, you know, like <laughs> I've been taught this. I don't know how I know it, but I know this song, you know. So, um, yeah, it was awesome. Mate. That was one of the best things I'd ever did. And I'm glad I did. Picked up on the the idea of fielding and the idea of the Barrows kind of philosophy on that. Probably the the best fielding unit in the associate world, if not you know better than some of the the full members. How how is that mindset, that almost that like culture of of fielding as the third facet of the game? How does that sort of manifest itself in in the group? Who who drives that? Um, it's it always starts up top. It's always been a um, I guess it's just been ingrained in the boys. It's just a challenge, you know. Don't don't miss fields like. You'll see a lot of it happens in the when you see like a team, like the Indian team. If someone misfields, it's like you know they just cop it and then they get cop glares from the team. It almost starts like that when you first get in there because that's the standard. It's like no, this is we're the best fielding unit and let's just own that. Uh, no excuses and talk about no excuses. I'm sure Tim. I think if you've been to Panja, you've seen the, the home ground and um, how rocky and sandy and dust bowl and there's just divots everywhere. So you know there's plenty of reasons to have excuses. Nah, there's plenty of reasons not to dive and that is not even a part of the that's that you just put your body in the line for the boys and and for the team and and I've still got scars if you know it's funny I used to love watching the other teams come and play there and just complain about the field and miss field and <laughs> just complain and our boys just sit back and go like hey no excuse like you know you guys get to play on you know beautiful levels in your country you know this is ours and you know get used to it you know so um that it, it gets driven and ingrained in you from from the start it's that that's our standard let's set the tone uh, at training and if you have to dive dive if not then okay that's fine but don't let it don't let it go past you put something in front of it haven't had the chance to play an official one day international on that venue yet but what do you think the feeling will be like when it does finally happen and, and you get to kind of stand there with the rest of the boys you know arm in arm probably a national anthem and all of that you know that goes with it how special will that be for everyone involved yeah yeah i yeah. Yeah, so the first, the last one I played there was, um, I think it was maybe Scotland or Namibia, I think, and that was, it feels like an eternity ago. So I think any fixture that we get together is going to be pretty awesome, to be honest, let alone a home fixture. 
the boys always seem to fire up at home as well. And I think we have a good record at home at the moment in any cricket that we've played. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, mate. I can't wait. Um, singing the national anthem is pretty awesome with the boys as well. And if you're out of key, you get called out pretty quickly in the fines meeting afterwards. <laughs> is that enough for the red jacket? It's, or? Uh, if you get the words wrong, which like I mentioned, Kiplin, he's, he got the words wrong <laughs> one time. We're mid-anthem and we're all just holding our mouths like trying not to laugh. <laughs> Uh, no, it's awesome, mate. Oh, the stories of Kipley Dariga in, in Namibia at the, at the London Club that <laughs> night after after the Barramundi Miracle. That's probably a good segue to talk about that tournament yeah, because let's go there. What an unbelievable tournament that was. Okay, so let's once again paint the picture for for everyone involved. The last day of group action, World Cricket League Two. You guys way behind, not only on points but on net run rate as well. Seemingly irrecoverable net run rate needed a. a a lot of things to go your way for, for things to, to go well, to, to achieve one day international status. You needed to beat Oman, needed a couple other results on that day to, to go your way. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, apologies to Hong Kong and Canada, sorry. Uh, but <laughs> maybe going back actually the day before uh, and you came off you know, a loss that almost consigned you guys to thinking about you know, your futures with associate cricket the way it is, you know, there's no quarter given, there's a lot at stake. Take us back to that time in the dressing room and soul searching a little bit before those fixtures the next day and you guys trying to muster up, you know, an attack when you when you went on to play Omar the next day. Between the day before and, and the morning of that game, what was said, what was the feeling around that group? Because you guys were staring some pretty bleak realities in the face at that point. Um, yeah, so Gary basically said what he wanted to say emotionally, um, and then he he also sat back and uh, it's what I love I loved about his coaching is that he doesn't always let everything out just out of emotion. He likes to sit back and analyze. So he did say some things that um, I'm sure he probably he, knowing him he he wouldn't regret, but he also you know waited and he came and approached us after the game after you know he let it sit for about an hour and he sort of said and it was a very quiet change room that basically said, this is this could be it, boys. So uh, I want you to go home and I want you to have a think about what you're going to do to represent, because this could be the last time you, some of you but he pointed, pointed at me straight away. He's like, mate, we won't be able to get chatty to these tournaments again. So this is probably it for him. And, you know, and it was a very hard thing to take on hearing that, but also knowing that that's probably, you know, if we don't turn up tomorrow, that's going to be the reality of it. And he just basically said, yeah, this is what it is. The only people that can change this from happening is you guys by turning up tomorrow and having a better attitude. And let's just actually show these people that we, we're the team to beat and we're not playing like it. We haven't played like it, but this is it. You, you've got one chance and that's, that's it. There's no, I'm not going to give you a second chance because I can't and there isn't one. So have a crack pretty much. And then we all went home and some of us were pretty upset. As, as you know, a lot of us wear our hearts on our sleeve playing for um, our countries anyway. But yeah, a lot of us went home, had a bit of soul searching. A lot of us went to, spoke to our families back home. I spoke to dad and basically said, oh, you know, have you got any work at home waiting for me? <laughs> um, no, yeah, we just, we, you know, we didn't have a team dinner or anything. We just sort of just went out together as a, as a team um, and just had a feed together and, you know, encouraged each other. And so let's just have a crack. Let's just see what happens, you know. And then I know the next morning at breakfast, everyone was there earlier than normal and having breakfast together. And we, like the best thing was that we just stuck together as a team. And that's what Joey's always spoken about and always wanted for us to do. And I think it was we did it more unprompted and more that it was like, nah, this is this is it. Let's let's do this. And you know, let's if it is our last game together, you know, well, let's just go out on a on a high and enjoy it. And then um, yeah, the rest is history in a way. 
And to bring up Kipling again, I think he took a bunch of catches that game and he had that ridiculous partnership as part of the, the rebuild. I think you cleaned them up at the end there. You might have taken three at the end just to make sure that everything was uh, done and dusted and you gave yourself just enough wiggle room on net run rate. Come on, Dan. They were um, they were set bats when they were the top four. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't look at the scorecard. Yeah, yeah. Nos took the rest. Yeah, Nos. <laughs> yeah. Scorecard doesn't paint any pictures, Chad. We know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Uh, it's, it's good to be um, it's good to be a part of it and actually you know contribute to the team. It always is. And um, yeah, the ball was just swinging that day, and I managed to actually land a few on off stump finally instead of um, you know spraying them down leg side. Well, this is the thing about the Barrows, though, is that it's definitely a team brand of cricket that some days one player will just stand up and, and do the job. But, you know, as we've kind of alluded to already, there's probably six, maybe seven all-rounders in that team who can genuinely do both things. Is it a case sometimes of when someone's got the hot hand with the ball, say it is Nassana or say it's CJ Meany and his leg breaks, when they're going, you just throw the ball to them and, and it's their day? Is that kind of how it works sometimes in that team? Hundred percent. Um, yeah, we always have. Uh, it's one thing I learned was under Joey. He said one bowler is going to go the journey, as in like go the other way and be, you know, could not be their day. It's just about it. the rest of us pulling the slack and actually putting it in and you know covering for that person. And I think you know it's, it works the other way. It works both ways. Again, it works when someone's hot. It's just get around them and just, let's just support them as best we can. You know, and um, it doesn't just mean also your your, your bowling, but it's also your fielding. You know, it's about backing each other up and even if it's your opening bowler you know not so taking a diving catch or stopping a boundary or you know Damien just throwing the stumps down from one end um, putting in in the field it just backs up everyone and it creates that atmosphere because our fielding alone creates an atmosphere and the way that the boys are they you know joking around all the time or you know sometimes we're just singing in the middle of and just you know just annoying batsmen that way um creates an atmosphere and it creates a culture so you know when a bowler's on it's just about reminding them you know that you know he's not going to miss his line again it's just a typical um atmosphere as 11 at 11 guys on the field can create you know and uh, it does work that way some days norman's going to come out and swing the ball both ways and stumps are going to be flying and then you know, at the other end, we're going to have to just make sure we're just keeping that guy on strike for Norman or, or the new batsman, you know, coming in. Um, and then some days, again, it's it could be our part-timers that do the job and the, the wicket spinning. So we've got your part-timers and your spinners and Jason Keeler and CJ, they're just, they're just going to bowl a lot more. And I think it's just understanding our roles as pace bowlers in the team to uh, work around and adapt and you know, if it means that I, I bowl a lot more through the middle and at the end, you know, then that's my role. And then if not, if the ball's swinging early, then, you know, maybe, you know, myself and Damien and, and you know, your JB Reavers and those guys will get a bowl, a bowl a bit earlier and bowl a lot more of the overs and the spinners. So it, it also depends on who's batting because I've, over the time watching some of these associate nation players, a lot of them are very good against spin and, you know, pulling out reverse sweeps and all this and using their feet really well. And, you know, so some days it is, you know, uh, the pace bowlers that have to pick up the slack and, and do their job for the team. They had to get good against playing at spin when Afghanistan was still uh, an associate member that Paul Ladd's trying to play Rashid Khan every uh, every tournament. But to, to bring it back to World Cricket League 2 that day, yeah, the first job was done. You won that game, beating Oman. And then you're awkwardly at the United ground trying to get updates of, of everything else going around. And you at the Dross Bar, and for people who don't know the United ground, that <laughs> the United ground and the bar, are, well, they're in the same complex, basically. And you guys were having to kind of resort to watching streams of the USA-Canada game on, on phones. And I'm guessing with Namibian uh, data and, and 3G there, 
that none of the streams were actually playing at the same time. So you're all probably reacting at, at different times. But, you know, the marker was set. You know, the USA needed to score, I think it was 212 or 213 to make sure that Canada went home and you guys achieved one day international status. Who sort of found out about the equation first? How did that news get around? And then how was the the emotions and the nerves watching that game unfold and, and that day kind of ending the way it did? Yeah, so we uh, we had uh, Timmy was there, Timmy Coyle, Joey Dawes. They had the equation running from someone was at the ground and they were feeding us the equation and they were saying, no, this is the score. And then we had to keep comparing it to whoever had their live stream going. And so we, we had about, I think we had four iPads going. Um <laughs> Four iPads going and we we're just sitting around the bar and Joey basically, we were all at that stage where we we're just like, well, you know what, let's just order some beers and let's just sit here with our beers and just enjoy each other's company and watch what happens. I remember looking over and Norman Venner was actually walked to the other side of the oval with his headphones on. So he wasn't around. <laughs> and then um, as it got closer and closer, the boys started scattering and to different parts of the pub um, and around their beer garden. And I just, I remember I had, for some reason, I don't know where this data was from, where, where it was from, but um, it was very fast. And I wish I had it in Dubai, Tim. But um, <laughs> this, I was, I was on, my, my score was a live update and I was getting the scores first. And then uh, it came down to the, um, yeah, it came down to the last six balls. And oh, I can't remember the guy's name that was batting at the time, but we gave, we gave him a standing ovation on the way out to the bat the next day when we played them in the one day. Um, thanking him. Was it was it Kenjige? Nostos Kenjige, the left armor? Yes. Yeah, the guy that always gets us all out as well. Yeah, he's a good bowler. But um, he, um, we clapped him on the way out and like we actually couldn't believe it because he didn't know what the score was. They didn't know what they needed. They could have done anything. He could have just ran down the wicket and missed it. It wouldn't have mattered for them because they qualified. So I was expecting someone to just, you know, get out, just just hold out because, you know, they wouldn't have worried, you know. And um, just to see that ball go for four, we were just all just couldn't believe. We just, it just erupted. And the poor people in that pub having their dinner. Um, <laughs> but I don't think any of them had an idea of what was going on but yeah it was just an amazing feeling and then just you know norman decides to join us afterwards he hears all the screaming and shouting so yeah good to see you norman thanks for writing <laughs> that one with us <laughs> ah it was awesome well we were at the ground and those batters knew wow. what the score was and what they were going for they knew okay yeah so it was one of the most bizarre passages of cricket that the USA team knew what they needed to get to to keep Canada out and were going for it. They were cheering when they went past it. Wow. And were very wow. happy when they when they got past that. It was a, a weirdest moment, I think, for those those watching. Yeah. Well, compare the celebrations, Chad, between that World Cricket League 2 qualification to when you guys qualified for the T20 World Cup. At that stage, you thought you qualified for a tournament in Australia. Unfortunately, fate would have it that that's been changed around. But you guys were the first to qualify for the World Cup off the back of a pretty electric campaign, it must be said. And it started at the top of the order. And once you guys got on a roll, it didn't really stop. What was the the, the celebrations like there? I know, Tim, you were there to see it in the flesh. Paint us a picture for, for Nick, myself, and, and all the other emerging cricket fans out there that weren't there to see that. What, what was that like? Because I think I remember you guys celebrating in the stand, watching another game, and then finding out your fate then. So it was a little bit different not being on the field. But again, similar to World Cricket League 2, you guys were watching another game and celebrating qualifying. Yeah, it's pretty powerful, like eh? uh, because I I think a lot of us had been there from the I think our side it was probably nearly his fourth fourth time going for it, 
And a lot of us, it was, um, you know, for those boys, it's kind of like, this is it or, you know, we might not never qualify for a World Cup. And I knew that, you know, we all knew how that squad that we have as well at the moment is probably the strongest we've had for a while in the in the format of T20. And yeah, it's just, it's just a relief. I think it was more a relief uh, more than anything. We just, it's just like this weight. It just, we're watching another game live stream and then we're watching the Netherlands game. And I think we need the Netherlands to score a certain amount of runs um, in a certain amount of overs or something. And I think we're just counting it down. And then um, Tendiscata just had one of those days where he just hits the ball everywhere. And yeah, he was just enjoying the moment, enjoying it. And I know that, you know, most of those boys that were there were, were in Namibia as well. And um, it was kind of like, we just had this faith that it would happen and we we knew it was going to happen. And um, yeah, so it was just more like, oh, like finally we've made one, you know, like because the boys, they work so hard and team was unchanged for the whole tournament so um yours truly was doing his best at running drinks for everyone and um, <laughs> you know i take a lot of credit for that uh world cup campaign uh making it because of the, the drinks that i filled <laughs> you know but um yeah it was just relief because it's you know it's three years in the making to get to that stage at in that point with with joe coming on and it was incredible it was just the best it was just the most relief like really and just coming home and seeing my phone light up with like messages from from everyone like schoolmates family people i haven't seen or spoken to for a long time just all you know being aware that we've made one and just gives me goosebumps to talk about now to be honest it was awesome what a feeling you can't, I don't think you can really substitute that euphoria. And you guys qualifying, it would have been really special for you guys to, to come here and play in that World Cup. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we know that, that the bond between PNG and Australia, now it's looking like potentially not even India, it might even be, you know, pivoting again. Does that change anything in, in, in terms of your build up to the tournament? What do you guys have to factor in there? Because I'm sure that, you know, your coaching staff and you guys as players would have, you know, been preparing for Australia and all of a sudden you, you hear that decision one night in the middle of the night, oh, the tournament's now in a completely different location. Does that change much for you as a player? Uh, yeah, I think uh, for me personally, it probably changes in, because, um, like, you know, playing in Australia, I was looking forward to playing on a few grounds that I know and pitches that I know. But I think the biggest thing that will change is the, our, our game plan towards leaning towards more subcontinent um, bowling and batting, batting against spin um, in the shorter format. Also, you know, maybe with our pace bowlers learning, you know, I need to nail out because you see it in the IPL at the moment. And uh, well, when they were playing is that the quicks were going for the journey, but uh, most of the time, uh, was the fields were smaller, um, but the pitches were also, you know, I guess, you know, coming on the bat nicely at night time, but also turning. And so, you know, I think our, our game plan will have to, you know, be based around what fields we're going to be playing on, what types of wickets we're going to be playing on, as most teams will be. But it's gone from playing on, you know, uh, as Timmy would probably know as well, playing on absolute highways here to probably playing on wickets are going to go go and, you know, turn a little bit more and um, slow bowling is probably going to have a bit more of a, um, you know, involvement in the game. That's the end of part one with Chad. We'll have part two on next week's show, as well as all the action from the women's T20I series between Scotland and Ireland and the ODI Super League. For now, on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner, and myself, Daniel Beswick, and everyone at the Emerging Cricket team, we'll see you next week.